Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you are here with us today, that you have joined us for this moment, especially as we are here gathering again for the beginning of another school year. It is the end of summer, as Alex noted, and it is the beginning of a new year of studies, not only for our students, but for their teachers, for their administrators. I wanna see, how many of you all will be going back to school tomorrow? Raise your hands if you're, if, you're, if you're going back to school tomorrow. Okay, several of you. How many of you are teachers or former teachers and remember these days well, who are either going back to school or have been back to school at this time of year? First of all, for our students, we wanna say we are going to be praying for you because we know that this is a strange time. My own son is going back for his senior year of high school this year, and I know that this is a, a tense time, an anxious time as we're trying to figure out what's gonna be happening. I know that we're, some people are worried that people are gonna not go back to school, others are worried that they will, and, and we're just trying to sort all of that out. So we wanna to continue to pray for our students. Uh, we wanna pray for our teachers and our administrators. Um, we want to pray for our school board members and the people who have to make decisions about stuff like this because we know how hard that can be. But we don't, we don't want to just talk about this and we don't want to just pray individually about this. I'm going to ask you to do a favor. Today, members of our church are going to be joining with people all over the city to go and pray at our schools. At 5.30 today, people from this church and from other churches are gonna be gathering around the flagpoles of different schools all over the city to pray for this school year. Now, there's no directive. You can go to the closest school to you. You can go to one of your kids or your grandkids. You can go to a school from which you are retired or used to teach. I'm gonna be going to my son's school and, and pray there, hopefully with other parents as well. But we hope that you will not just talk about or think about the needs of our students and teachers and administrators this year, but we hope that you'll actually pray for them and take an active role in asking God that this be a great year for our students. We know it's gonna be a hard year. We know it's gonna be a strange year, but we ask you to help them, uh, to help them by praying that this will be a great year for them as well. One other announcement that I wanted to make very quickly is that I know that there is some anxiety in our congregation, just as there is in our city about the state of COVID and our COVID protocols and things like that. I want you to know that our session met last Monday evening and has put together a team to examine the, uh, examine the situation and to communicate with you, the congregation, about how we will move forward, if there will be any changes, that sort of thing. Just a couple quick reminders that that the doctors on our session asked me to remind you is, is first of all, remember to give everybody just grace and space during this time. I know you're a congregation of handshakers and huggers. Okay, just be aware that not everybody's into that right now, okay? The other thing is to remember that if you are sick, you don't get any extra points for coming to church, okay? We're not gonna be impressed if you come here feeling miserable, okay? Stay home, get well, keep everybody else well. That is the most important factor in keeping this, uh, this sickness at bay. But we'll be communicating with the congregation to let you know about what's going on. Well, I think it's important that we address this issue uh, just briefly because today we're gonna be talking about the topic of fear. 
It's interesting that the Bible says to fear not or be not afraid 365 times in one version or another. That means that for every day of the year, the Bible says be not afraid. And this is a passage that, that deals with the topic of fear, but in a very interesting and dramatic way. If you would please turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. You can find it in your bulletin. You can watch on the, screen, the screens behind me, or you can use one of our pew Bibles, or even your own Bible if you brought that with you. This is a long passage, but it is an interesting and, and a dramatic passage. Beginning in verse 14, verse 14 of chapter 6. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Let me stop there for just a second. What is the it? Who is Herod? What's going on here in our context? First of all, King Herod was the king of Galilee, which was a, a little bit kingdom just north of of Judea. It was the place where Jesus lived and grew up. And King Herod was the sort of the puppet governor of this region. And we'll talk about more about that in a second. But the it that he's heard about, if you'll remember last week, we talked about Jesus sending out his disciples to, uh, to go and heal and cast out demons and things like that. Well, that's the it of which, of which King Herod has heard. And something about that movement, something about Jesus sending those people out has upset him. So the scripture again says, King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. Jesus was becoming famous. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, that is when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And the girl went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he didn't want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. 
and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples, that's John, John's disciples, heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. But today, O Lord, your word has told us a strange, hard story. But even in that hard story, speak to us of eternal things. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. The late seminary professor and theologian R.C. Sproul used to tell his seminary students this in their preaching classes. He said, when you preach a passage, preach the drama of the passage. When you preach a passage, preach the drama of the passage. Well, there is certainly drama that we've read in our passage today. This story is full of drama. And as we continue our study of the story of Jesus, once again, we come across a story within a story. Now, many Bibles maybe even your own, describe Mark 6, 14 through 29 as the death of John the Baptist. That's how they usually label it or, or title this section of the sixth chapter, that this is about the death of John the Baptist. But as we look at this story in context, we're going to discover that while it tells us how and why John the Baptist, Jesus' famous prophetic cousin, was arrested and killed, it's really, the story is really about the inevitable collision between the king of fear and the king of hope. It is about the collision between Jesus the Messiah and the corrupt powers of this world. It's not just a story about a martyr's death. It is about this collision. Now, the literary purpose of inserting this story on the death of John in this place in the gospel is to close the file on the prophet. This is the story within the story. Because up to this point, the people who've been hearing the story of Jesus have been wondering, or they may have wondered, you know, whatever happened to that guy, John the Baptist? You remember the one who would eat locusts and he wore camel's hair and he, he, he wore a belt of leather and he would be out in the woods in the desert or out in the wilderness and he would, pro, he would yell at people and he would, he would preach God's word and he'd call people to repentance. Whatever happened to that guy? It seems like we heard about him all the time. What, but what happened to him? Well, John the Baptist had become an obnoxious presence to the rulers of Galilee for some time. When the rulers, both secular and religious, went out to hear him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers, the rich, they came out to see what he was doing and to hear what he was saying. He turned on all those people. He looked at them. He pointed at them. And he said, you are a brood of vipers. You are hypocrites. You aren't taking care of the poor. You're dishonoring God. You brood of vipers. 
Now, I want to say that all of that amused King Herod at first. I mean, Herod was himself politically corrupt and personally immoral, but he hated these self-righteous, these holier-than-thou Pharisees and religious leaders. He hated these other people. He, wanted, he didn't mind that John was making them look bad because he hated their piety more than anybody else. He was glad to have somebody call out their hypocrisy. But beyond that, Herod liked John and even respected him to some degree. Look at verse 20. Herod said, it's, verse 20 says that Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. The fact is, even though John was preaching against sin, preaching against hypocrisy, preaching against the wealthy and the powerful, Herod found John entertaining. He found him an entertaining, if challenging, curiosity. Of course, all that changed when John's insolence crossed the line and he insulted the king and his wife. You see, Herod had married his brother's wife. That was illegal then, just like it is now, and just like it's illegal now, it was illegal then, but I guess he figured if he was a king, and since Herodias was willing, she could just jilt her husband in favor of his more powerful brother. But the problem was that was adultery. And John had condemned the adulterous marriage between Herod and his brother's wife. He'd done it publicly. And he'd even called them out as adulterers, yelling, It's not lawful for you to marry her. It's not lawful for you to have her. But Herod and his wife Herodias refused to be shamed by this peasant. They wanted to put him to death. For his humiliation. But Herod, ever the shrewd politician, knew that John was popular with the people. As a matter of fact, he was too popular. And they might rise against him if he executed their folk hero. And so he settled for having John arrested and thrown in his dungeon. But then, on the night of Herod's birthday party, the king hosted a banquet. And get this. As entertainment, this lecherous and perverse king had his own stepdaughter perform some kind of erotic dance for the crowd. And she did such a good job, apparently, and it pleased Herod and his guests so much that Herod promised to give her anything that she wanted. He made an oath to give her up to half of, her, of his kingdom if she asked for it. So what did his stepdaughter, Salome, do? The girl went and asked her mother, what should I ask for? What should I ask for? And Herodias told her that she should ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now here's the tragedy of this story. Herod actually respected John the Baptist. But he also feared looking bad. You see, Herod was not a real king. He was just Rome's puppet governor of Galilee. Politically speaking, he was on thin ice. 
And he was afraid that he would lose face and garner the disapproval of his peers and of his people if he appeared weak. So what did he do? He did the unthinkable. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Yes, if you were wondering, that is exactly where that expression comes from. To serve up someone's head on a platter. Herod feared that his weakness would be exposed. And in giving in to fear, he exposed his greatest weakness. Now this is a tragic story. This is a sickening story. But why does it matter? Why, in spite of the fact that it's a tragic story and a sickening story, is this an important story? It's an important story because even though this story seems to be about John the Baptist, it's really about Herod's confrontation with Jesus. The importance of this story is the appearance of Jesus because the appearance of Jesus was a trigger for Herod. It was a trigger of Herod's guilt and fear. Jesus is on the rise and on the move. Remember, this story begins with Herod hearing about Jesus. The Bible tells us that King Herod heard of it. He heard about Jesus sending out his people and Jesus' name had become known. Even though Jesus had been teaching and preaching for some time by this point, Jesus really got Herod's attention. He showed up on his radar when he started sending his disciples out to heal and to preach and to cast out demons. What Herod realized was that it wasn't just Jesus anymore. It wasn't just this Nazarene carpenter anymore. It was all these people who followed him. I mean, yes, the crowds feared Herod, but they loved Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was building a movement, and that was a threat to a pretender king. And that is when Herod's consuming paranoia took over. According to Mark, the growing reputation of Jesus was an uneasy reminder to Herod that he had not silenced John's message by severing his head. John, whom I beheaded, said Herod, has been raised. Herod actually thinks that this is Jesus. I mean, excuse me, actually, actually thinks that this Jesus, who's now gaining a following in this province, must be a prophet, maybe perhaps Elijah or worse, or maybe he's even John the Baptist coming back to haunt him, come back from the dead, raised from the grave. John couldn't believe, I mean, Herod couldn't believe this. It's his worst nightmare. I've sentenced a man to death and now he's here to haunt me. I thought I had him under control. I thought I'd taken care of that problem. Are any of you all familiar with that old carnival game, Whack-A-Mole? 
You know what I'm talking about? Somebody back there did. Yeah, whack-a-mole. It's a great little game if you're not familiar with it. There's this, this panel with all these holes and these little, these little uh, electronic or mechanical moles pop up through the holes and you've got a big old pillow-like hammer. And the idea is that when they pop up, you whack them down. Whack-a-mole. You whack it down, then another one pops up. You try to get it over here. And the point is you try to clear the board, but they're always just popping up everywhere. And you think you've got one and another one pops up. You got him. Another one pops up. That was Herod. He thought, I, I thought I took out John the Baptist, but who's this? Who's this Jesus? He just popped up right over here. Herod thought that he'd silenced this movement by killing John the Baptist, but there's another one. When Herod heard about Jesus, he lost his mind. He believed that John the Baptist had risen from the grave and was coming to get him. I mean, Herod had nothing to fear from John the Baptist, he was dead. But when confronted by the truth of Jesus, all of his fears, all of his greatest guilt, all of his shame was exposed. And from that point on, Herod became one of the number of people who plotted to kill Jesus of Nazareth. Now the purpose of this story is to show us the difference between the king of fear and the king of hope. I want you to compare Herod, the pretender king of Galilee, to Jesus, the son of God and the true king of Israel. In Mark 6, 7 through 13, we hear about the king of heaven, the son of God, Jesus sending out his 12 apostles with orders to go out and to cast out demons, to set people free from their bondage, to heal people, and to call people to turn their lives around to a better way, to turn their lives around, to repent and turn to God. Whereas in this story, we hear about the orders of Herod, the pretender king of Galilee, the broken king of earth, giving orders to arrest, to imprison, to kill, and even to humiliate a dead man. Every time we see Jesus exercise authority and power, it's for the sake of love, for our good, for the Father's glory. But every time a tyrant like Herod flexes his authority or exerts his power, it's for his own good and his own glory. This is the pathos of Herod. Herod, is actually, Herod actually respected John the Baptist. He liked his preaching. He liked what he had to say until it got personal. He liked John until he went from preaching to meddling. He liked John, but he betrayed that respect because he feared what? The disapproval of of his peers because he feared the disapproval of the people he ruled. And Herod showed the depth of his weakness when he showed that he was able to casually kill someone he actually admired. How far can fear drive us? 
There's another level to this story. This story is also about the catastrophe of fear and the confrontation of our own sin. This story is about the catastrophe of our fear. Look what happens when we're ruled by fear. When we are ruled by fear, we make tragic decisions. Insecurity begets fear. It begets jealousy. It begets anger. It begets greed. It begets abuse. It begets violence. And this story exposes not just how fragile Herod was, but just how vulnerable, how fragile we are when it comes to fears and our own insecurities. Here's the truth. As long as you think that you are the king instead of a child of the king, then your peace, your kingdom, your security, your identity is set on shaky ground. As long as your peace, joy, your identity depends on that little world and that little kingdom that you have built for yourself, your peace will not last because your kingdom will not last. No matter how much you invest or how much you defend it, if your security is in your kingdom and not in his kingdom, it will not last. Last, Herod was scared that he would lose face, that he would lose respect, and that that would lead to him losing his kingdom. What are you scared of and what are you afraid to lose? Right now, we're afraid of COVID and the Delta variant. We've got fears about our kids returning or not returning to school. We've got fears about losing our civil rights. We've got fears about crime and random violence. We've got fears that our country is losing its moral standing in the world, on the world stage. But you personally, what are you afraid of? What fears are in danger of ruling you? This story graphically shows us the catastrophic implications of living ruled by fear. But the drama of this story is not just in the catastrophic danger of the ruling of our fear, it is also in the confrontation of our sin. The drama of this story is the reality that one day every one of us is going to have to confront our sin, our shame, and our fear. You know what's interesting about this? All this started, this whole story was, was initiated because Herod heard about Jesus. Herod hadn't even met Jesus yet. But even the good news of Jesus stirred up something terrible from his past that he couldn't bury or deny. He knew it was all going to come out. And he couldn't hide his shame in a dungeon. And he couldn't kill his guilt. And the dramatic reality of this story is that the truth of Jesus forces us to confront the truth about ourselves. The truth that we cannot hide, that we cannot kill, that we cannot silence. 
And the truth is that we're all often very scared. The truth is we're insecure. And the fact is that makes us dangerous to ourselves and everyone around us. When we really hear the truth of Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time that matters, it may very well stir up some stuff that we don't want to deal with. The light of Christ exposes all of that junk in us and it even pushes us to the limits, to the limits of our fear, of our jealousy, of our pathos. But the question becomes again, will you be ruled by that fear? Will you be ruled by the king of fear? Will you be ruled by hope and the king of hope? What will you do when your shame, your fear, your guilt, your sin is exposed? Will you try to hide it in some prison? Will you try to silence it rather than confront it? Or will you turn it over to Jesus? Herod lost his mind because he believed that Jesus or John the Baptist, or whoever it was, was coming to destroy him. But Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come to destroy Herod. Rather, Jesus came to call us all to turn our lives around and follow him. He called us not to hide our sins but he called us to turn them over to him so that he can restore us in the image that God made us to have. I want you to notice this contrast. Herod took John's life to try to save himself. Jesus gave his life to save us. Who would you rather follow? But what are you trying to hide? What are you afraid will be exposed? The purpose of this story is to show us that there is a clear difference between the king of fear and the king of hope. And that clear difference gives us a clear choice. You know, I heard a great quote about a week ago. It went like this. You are born looking like your father, but you die looking like your decisions. Let me say that again. You're born looking like your father, but you die looking like your decisions. What's the decision you're going to make? Are you going to give in to fear, to try and hide it, to kill it, to silence it, living in the fear that one day that fear will be exposed? Or are you going to give it to the one who gave his life to set you free from the very thing that you fear most? One final important lesson that this story teaches us is that God's truth is more powerful than our fears. Even when it looks like hope is lost, God still prevails. You may ask, how did God prevail? I want you to look at the righteousness of John. The story of John was tragic, but what we learn here is that God's love is not John was, according to Jesus, the most faithful man who ever lived. Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. 
How can he say that? John was casually killed by the whim of a king. But Jesus did not call John great because he was successful. He called him great because he was faithful. And one thing we need to understand these days is that faithfulness to Christ does not always produce what the world would call success. That's not the biblical gospel. That's the prosperity gospel. Faithful stewardship of our mission will not always lead to big numbers or peace and happiness or financial security or worldly affirmations. Sometimes, yes, the, world, the faithfulness leads to what the world would call success, but all too often we see in Scripture that it leads to Herod's dungeon. The disciples and the apostles were all killed or exiled. In the 1940s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis because he was training pastors to preach the truth over and against Hitler's lies. Martin Luther King was assassinated because he started a movement to stand up for the unalienable rights of all Americans. Even Jesus was crucified because he wanted people to follow him out of love, not rule them by fear. And right now there are modern martyrs in China, Iran, and today Afghanistan. But the drama and the hope of this story is that in spite of all that, in spite of those darkest dungeon moments, God doesn't give up and he has not given up on his plan. The hope in this story is that even though John is dead, Jesus is still coming. The good news is that you can kill God's witnesses, but you can't kill his mission. You can cancel God's messengers, but you can't cancel God's truth. The hope of this story is that even if the prophet is silenced, the Savior is on his way. This is a reason for hope, and we need that now. Even when Herod did his part to have Jesus silenced and crucified, death could not hold him. And he was raised to new life. The hope of this story is found in God's relentless pursuit of our good and his glory. And no matter what dungeon we face, no matter what fears we have to overcome, no matter how bad or dramatic it gets, God does not give up on us or on his mission. And so again, I ask you, knowing that God is relentless in his pursuit of our good and his glory, are you going to be ruled by fear? Or are you going to be ruled by hope? Let's pray. Oh Lord, I know that it is very easy to reduce the words do not fear to a platitude. It is so easy to imagine that discipleship does not have a cost or should not have a cost. It is so seductive to give up and give in. But Lord, you have showed, shown us today that, that you will prevail. And that you will honor the faithfulness of your people, even when the world does not. We thank you, Lord, that, that Jesus Christ has promised to rescue us from our fears. He's promised, to he's, he's promised to rescue us from our own tyranny, trying to rule over our own kingdoms, to invite us into his kingdom. 
Oh, Lord, help us to turn our fears and our control over to him so that we will know the truth and life that you offer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.